Good morning, friends. How are you this morning? Great. I like Claire. I'm on West Coast time, so woof. It's early. We're like three hours behind, so just getting going. Uh, if everybody wants to find a seat, that would be great. I'm so glad that you're here. Well done. I know for some of you, this took a lot for you to set aside a whole day to be here, and um, I'm sure it wasn't without some wailing and gnashing of teeth in some of your families, but you're here, and I'm so glad that you're here. And I do believe, as I was praying a lot for this event, I do believe that God has great things for all of us today. Amen? Because he's a good God, and he's generous, and when we set aside time to be with him and when we seek him, what does he promise? We will find him. He actually makes it really easy to find him. He wants to be found by us. And so this morning, um, Claire just gave us a beautiful teaching, which I'm so grateful for what she had to say. And if you would allow me this morning, we're going to go a little bit under the surface. Is that okay? We're all friends here, right? We're all in this together. We want, we're here because we want to seek the heart of God and we want to grow in intimacy with him. And so to do that, we're going to go under the surface a little bit, okay? So um, as they were saying, I, I am from Vancouver, British Columbia. If you've ever been there, you know. It's so beautiful there. There's mountains, the ocean. It's, it's epic. It really, really is. Um, <clears throat> and I go and travel to a lot of different places, and I speak, and I get to do all these fun things, like be with you, you know? But when I go home... It's very easy to just get into a routine. You all have your routines, you know? I live, uh, my parents have their house attached to ours, so I do life with 80-year-olds. It's awesome. Uh, I also have uh, three kids. <clears throat> it's the best. And we get into a routine. And, you know, it's also really dreary, you know, this time of year. It's like raining a lot, similar to Seattle. Uh, a lot of clouds. And, and so when I get into my routine, it can become just kind of quiet, and you just do your thing. Drive Eva to school, start prepping for the dinner that night, go visit mom and dad, see if they need anything, and, you know, go through the day. And sometimes when we get stuck in a routine, it's easy to lose sight of the bigger things. And so I was just feeling kind of quiet and, you know, doing the regular. And I was driving down the road, and I looked out my window, and 10 feet away, there was this huge bald eagle who was flying right next to my car with a massive salmon in its claws. And I was like, wow, I live in the wild. <laughs> it just shocked me out of my routine, out of the, well, I'm just living this little dreary life with the rain coming down. And I was like, I live in the most epic place in the world, you know? And we need moments like this that surprise us, that, that reorient us, that clarify things for us and make us see what is bigger outside of our regular routine. That's why I love today for you. This is a moment where we can reorient ourselves, where God can surprise us, where he can take us out of the things that maybe we do on a regular basis and show us something even greater. I had a moment like this in my own faith. Uh, a couple of months ago, I was invited to go to a weekend kind of prayer retreat with a ministry called Renewal Ministries. 
They're a wonderful ministry. They do evangelization all over the world. They uh, do missions in different countries. And so when I went there, um, these people were sharing with me about how they're bringing the gospel into Africa and all these different parts of the world, and they just are in the dirt with the people preaching the gospel. And I, I just felt like a child among giants. They were, it was so powerful to hear their testimony and how they're giving their whole life for Jesus in such a dramatic way. It was awesome. And so we go through the weekend, we're praying. I was like, wow, Lord, this is really beautiful. And we get to the Sunday, and there's a woman who's standing behind me, and people are just sharing a little bit about their reflections on the weekend or what they felt like God was saying to them. And she, just this very peaceful, simple-looking woman, she stands up and she says, I feel like what God was saying to me was, we need to just keep it simple. And she paused. And in the pause, in my mind, I was like, yeah, keep it simple. Just preach Jesus, you know, like just, and and I'm filling in the gaps. And then she says, we need to keep it simple. Raise the dead. I was like, what now? I like turned around. I was like, what did you just say? (laughs) Keep it simple. Raise the dead. I was like, okay. (laughs) That was a clarifying moment. I actually couldn't stop thinking about that when she said that. I kind of laughed out loud and turned around in surprise and delight because she was absolutely right. Let me just read you this scripture here from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10, verse 8. Jesus says to his disciples, also to us, that this is what he desires for us to do. This is our mission. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give, he says. This is actually what the Christian life is all about. This is what Christ wants to do in us and then through us. So it's it's essential that we experience this first, that he wants to raise us from the dead. He wants to heal our leprosy. He wants to drive out the demons in us so that we then can bring his presence to a hurting world that desperately needs him. Amen? The difficulty is that often we forget the essentials. This is the essentials, the mission What Claire said, intimacy with God, and then living that intimacy with him out into the world and to do the very things that he did. This is our call as baptized Catholics. But often we get in our routines and we get lost in the non-essentials because we do have an enemy, as Claire said, an enemy who wants to distract us from the essentials and make us live a small story a small Christian life. And it's not that it's bad things, it's probably good things, like even some of our devotions or our preferences with how we pray and what we think about our our opinions about lots of things in the church. And those things, although many of them are very good, can become an opportunity for us to elevate them into an essential thing and miss Jesus altogether. And we can begin to choose sides and division begins to swarm in our hearts and our communities and our preferences and our styles become an opportunity for the enemy to divide and scatter where God desires unity among us. And we, we prioritize things 
instead of Jesus, we will lose our way. Today is an exciting day because it's an opportunity for us, as I said, to come back to what is most essential, and that is Jesus Christ. So where is Jesus in your life? I just want you to just let that question sit with you for a moment. Where is he? Who is he to you? As I said, the enemy likes to distract us. And we can get caught up in busyness and doing a lot of things, and maybe even a lot of things in the church, And we can miss this deep union and connection with God and actually miss him being active in our life in who he really, really is. And often we start to relate to him more like a personal assistant than a savior. You know what I'm saying? God, if you could just help me with this, if you could just come alongside, there's some things that I have to do. So if you could just help and make a way and whatever, but if you don't, don't worry, I'll take care of it. I got it anyway. I'll just do it anyway. So if, you, if you're too busy, don't worry, because I got a plan and I'll just like power through. I mean, honestly, friends, this is, this is like, I'm saying this from experience because this is how I operated for so long. This is so typical of us as human beings. And we live in an age where, you know, AI is growing and everybody's looking for help and assistance and all of this stuff. And I think we can often relate to God that way. God, can you just be my helper? And he is a helper, but that's not all he is. He isn't just someone who comes alongside and we can just ask, can you give me this, 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 this? No? Okay, I'll figure it out myself. Oof. That challenges me to say that. And it starts to tap on the places where I just asked the question, who is Jesus? Who is he to you? Who is he to me? I'm asking this question myself. Is he really a savior for me? Am I allowing myself to see the places where I am utterly desperate for him? Where there are things that I actually cannot do without him, where I need him? Am I allowing him to meet me there? Oh, that's hard. Because underneath that, if we go under the surface a little more, what that takes, if we want to ask God, the Savior, to come in and raise us from the dead and heal our blindness and set us as captives free, what that's going to take is trust. Oh, shoot. That's hard. That can be really hard because we get afraid. What if he doesn't come? What if he doesn't give me what I really desire? What if he's not who he says he is? And sometimes we can believe it for other people more than we do ourselves. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I can believe it for you. No, God loves you. No, he wants to set you free, but I'm going to walk around in captivity because I just don't know if he's coming for me. The good news for you today, my friends, is that Jesus is coming for you. He has come for you. He's going to come again for real, like second coming real. But he is coming real right now for you today. 
Jesus, the Savior, wants to save you. He wants to save you from the things that are terrifying to you in your life, the things that you can't fix on your own, the things that break your heart, the addictions you have, the paralyzing anxiety, the depression, the people in relationships that you can't forgive, the wounds from your past. This is who Jesus is. Thank God we have a Savior. He's not just a guy. He is a God of love and he has power that we do not have. That's what makes him God. Isn't that amazing? Yes. But again, I think the enemy can distract us into believing that somehow this is just a story. Almost like a fairy tale. And we don't know how to take the story and experience it as a reality within our life. Jesus wants to be a reality in your life. He wants to be the most real thing that you have ever experienced in your life. He has come to do what we cannot do. He is the healer. He is the restorer. He is the miracle worker. He breaks the power of sin and darkness. He heals the blind. He's drawn to the broken. And that is you and me right here today. When I look at you, (laughs) there's so much diversity in this room and so much beauty in this room. And that is a real part of you. And I also know from walking and journeying with many people and knowing my own heart that I've been diving into for many years now, there's a lot of other things going on under the surface for you. Painful things. Hard things. And Jesus knows. And he wants to meet you there. I want to share a story. How many people have read um, The Chronicles of Narnia? Yes, that's a good number. If you haven't, just link up with somebody who raised their hand. They'll set you straight. Okay. (laughs) These are some of my favorite books as a kid. I used to stay up really late, you know, at night with like under the sheets with a little flashlight so I wouldn't get told to go to sleep. I love these books. And there's a third one called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And these books are about this, these four children who grew up in England and they find little portals of sorts into another world that's called Narnia. And in that world, they're kings and queens. And it's, a, it's an analogy, an allegory of the Christian life. And, and there in Narnia, there is a lion named Aslan, who's the Christ figure. Even if, I, I encourage you to go back and read these, even if you've read them as a kid. They're just the best books. So in this third one... The four children get drawn into the porthole along with their cousin, and their cousin's name is Eustace, and he is a rascal, Eustace is. He's a little rascal, and he's such a pain in the butt, to be honest. He is mean, he's self-absorbed, he's just nasty. He just wants his own way all the time and at the expense of everybody else. And everybody knows it, seemingly, but Eustace, I don't think he knows this about himself, So anyway, when they get drawn into Narnia, they're on this boat. The boat ends up on this island, and there's damage to the boat, and so they have to fix the boat. And everybody's working 
except for Eustace, right? Eustace decides that he deserves a nap. So he goes for a little walk, um, and he finds a little cave, and he goes into the cave, and in the cave he finds a treasure, and he puts um, a bracelet onto his arm, a gold bracelet, and he falls asleep. And when he wakes up, he goes over to some water, and he looks in and sees his reflection, and he's turned into a dragon, a huge, gnarly, ugly dragon. Whoops. <laughs> and he's terrified of himself. And he, tr he doesn't know what to do, and he realizes very quickly He's trapped, this little boy is trapped inside this dragon outfit. And he's embarrassed of himself. He feels ashamed. When he tries to eat, it's just like gross. And he's just so ashamed of even how everything looks on the outside. It's almost as if everything that was ugly on the inside is suddenly on the outside. And he couldn't hide it anymore. And he was faced with his own ugliness. And he goes back and he's flying around and his cousins see and they look into the eyes of the dragon and his little cousin Lucy recognizes, oh my goodness, this is Eustace as a dragon. And she has compassion for him, even in his ugliness, even in his unloveliness. She has compassion on him. They don't know how to fix it. Everybody's trying to figure it out. They don't know what to do until Aslan arrives. And Aslan takes Eustace on a journey. And he takes, them, he takes them up a mountain until he finds this huge pool of water. And he says to Eustace, you need to go in and wash off. And so Eustace gets in there and he's scratching away with his big ugly dragon claws and like little scales are starting to fall off. Now, this is what you and I do, you know? We can see some of the things in our life that maybe aren't so pretty, you know? Maybe it's sin, maybe it's layers of darkness, and we can go into our spiritual life and we're like, or Lent, for example, and we try to scratch off some of the ugly parts. And we're like, okay, I know that this needs to come off, Lord. And so we're doing our best and we're scratching away at it. And maybe some of the scales are falling off, but it's not getting right down to it. And so after Eustace is trying so hard, suddenly Aslan says, I'm going to have to do it for you. And he takes out his huge lion claws. And Eustace in the book describes it. He said he took his claw and he tore through the layers and I've never felt something so painful. And at the same time, it felt good. And within moments, the whole dread, it was like a dragon suit just peeled off of Eustace. And he was just a little boy again. And Aslan washes him in the pool and dresses him in white. And that boy was changed forever. When the ugliness on the outside was taken off, it's like the whole person was transformed. Everything was renewed. And he was a sweet, loving boy. We call that conversion. <laughs> and this is an analogy of what God desires to do for us. See, Eustace could not do for himself what needed to be done. He needed 
Aslan, the Christ figure, to do it for him. And this is precisely what I'm getting at. There are things in our life that are beyond our power. And God in his great love wants to meet us there. He wants to meet you there. He wants to be with you there. He wants to, as Claire was saying, love you there. Will we let him love us there? Will we let him love us into a place of freedom? Because sometimes we can approach things like Lent, like I'm going to do it. You know, we're going to do the scratching. Like I'm going to have to figure it out. I'm going to have to try harder. I'm going to have to do more, sacrifice more. And sacrificing is good. Cooperating with grace is good. But it's the power of God in us that truly will set us free. It's not by might, not by power, by his spirit that great things will happen. And do we believe that God can? Do we believe that God will? I'm going to tell you a, a true story. When I was um, 16 years old, my dad was diagnosed with stage 4 non-Hodgkin's large cell lymphoma. He um, was in advanced stages when they found it. He had a lump so big under his arm, he couldn't even put his arm, his arm was out like this, it couldn't even put it all the way down. When they started doing tests, the doctor had told him, don't worry, it's just fatty tissue. Well, that wasn't what it was. But when they did the scans, they realized that it had spread through his whole body. It was in his lymph nodes, it was in his liver, it was in his spleen, his kidneys, it was in his blood, it was in his bone marrow. And at every stage, when they were about to do a test, we would pray and pray, God, please don't let it be there. Please, please, please. And I'm 16, you know, and I'm terrified because I realized very quickly, I didn't know my dad like I wished I knew him, and I, oh my, I might lose him suddenly. And it felt like God wasn't listening. Because as you pray, and the opposite happens, what goes on in our hearts? Well, we start to interpret that to mean something. And usually what we interpret that to mean is, God doesn't care. He doesn't hear me. He doesn't want to help me. That's the enemy, friends. That is the voice of the enemy who wants to steal you away from the God of love who cares and comes to us to be with us always. And he gets loud at moments like that. When we're suffering, when it's hard, the enemy is right there with an interpretation that tells you that you should not trust God. This sounds very much like the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? God isn't who he says he is. What if he's holding out on you? You probably shouldn't trust him. We continued to pray as a family. My dad continued to deteriorate. And he was sent into a cancer clinic <clears throat> where they told him that he had three months left to live. And they said, Mr. McGuire, you need to get your things in order. There's actually nothing else we can do for you. It was devastating. Absolutely devastating. And I remember going to World Youth Day right around that time in Denver. JP2 was there. What a blessing that was, my gosh. And I remember at Mass praying for my dad. And I remember God speaking deeply into my heart. He said, it's going to be okay. 
And I felt like no matter what, it was going to be okay. That if my dad lived, it was going to be okay. But if my dad died, it was going to be okay. I went home from that trip, and shortly after that, we got a call from my dad, who was in the cancer clinic. He was about to go in for a scan the next day just to see if there was anything else they could do. They just found a whole new bunch of tumors in his abdomen. And he called us, and I picked up the phone, and there was just someone laughing on the other side. I was like, who is this drunkard? <laughs> he says, it's me. He said, something happened to me. I don't know what's happening to me. They're going to think I'm crazy because I can't stop laughing. And what had happened is that there was a little Bible on my dad's bedside table, and he picked it up, and he's not really, he was a churchgoer, you know, a Sunday churchgoer, good man, wasn't really a Bible reader. He picked it up, and he read the story of the healing of the leper. And he had put the Bible down on his chest, and he said, God, if it's your will, I ask that you would heal me of this cancer and give me good health. He also said, I've never prayed for myself before, ever, because I didn't feel worthy enough to ask God for anything. In that moment, he said, he, he's a very logical guy, so this sounded absolutely nuts coming from him, but he said he felt power rushing through his eye sockets, through his entire body, so intensely that he felt like he was vibrating off the bed. <clears throat> And he said, it was so intense. And he said, it was like I was shaking, and I opened up my eyes, and everything stopped. And I closed them again just to check, but nothing happened, you know? <laughs> and then he called us laughing. He just was filled with joy. And he was like, I don't know what is going on, but something is happening. And the next morning, he went in for the scan. And the doctor came back and said, Mr. McGuire, that was the most boring three hours because there's nothing there. All of the tumors, all of his cancer, in one moment, was completely healed. And he's alive and well, living right next door right to me right now. Yeah. Jesus Christ, the same man who walked the earth 2,000 years ago and healed the leper and healed the blind man and met Mary and Martha and the woman at the well is the same Jesus who is here in this room right now. The same. With the same heart, the same desire to meet the broken. He did not hang out with the cool kids. He didn't hang out with the people who were all together. He hung out with people like you and me. I'm so sorry. That just sounded like such a backhanded compliment. But... <laughs> And it's the most consoling thing to me that he does. Because I don't feel well put together most of the time. And I have things that are really painful in my life just like you. And I have things that I can't change in my life just like you. And I have things that the answer hasn't been the healing like that. So let's talk about that for a moment. Because I know half of you right now are like, Heather, that's great. But actually when you share that, it hurts me because... I prayed for that, and that wasn't the answer. So can we talk about that for a moment? 
Because this is again where I think the enemy comes in to say those same lies. See, he doesn't care. He cares about her, him, not me. We just need to expose where the enemy is lying to us. He's really good at it, you know? This guy, John Eldridge, who I love, an author, he says, he's called the father of lies, not the father of ridiculous suggestions, or we'd never believe him. He's actually, it's like so crafty. He's a really good liar. So when he lies and how he lies, he knows exactly when to hit us hard when it's going to hurt the most. And usually it's in that place where we are questioning and we feel really low and there's despair starting to bubble up there. I've come to realize in my life, through God's word, that what he says is true. And it even says in scripture, God cannot lie. And I cling to that. Because I'm like, okay, Lord, if you cannot lie. And I say this all the time. Lord, you don't lie. It says it in your word. But you will be faithful to your promises. And he also says in there, in this world you will have trouble, but fear not, I have overcome the world. And he can take suffering and hardship and flip it on its head and use it for the salvation of other people and including us. He can take difficult circumstances and make himself known and real. So let me just tell you one more quick story. My parents, um, when I was just a newborn, I was three months old, I had three older siblings, uh, a sister and two brothers. And my dad took the two boys to work with him one day. And that day there was a horrible accident. And my brother Mark died. He was seven years old. And my dad carried the weight of that for a long time. What parent wouldn't? It was on my watch. You know, I was there. That's what every parent, I think, would think. As a parent, I can't think of something harder than that, to lose a child. And when my parents prayed for Mark before he died, that Mark would get better, that Mark would be healed, they did pray that. But that wasn't the... That wasn't the outcome. And they suffered this tragic loss, which obviously devastated them. And God didn't raise Mark from the dead in this physical life, but I know that Mark is in heaven right now. I ask him to pray for me all the time. But you know who he did raise from the dead? My parents. When tragedy struck and sorrow came, and a grief so deep that they thought they could not bear it, that they would not survive that, they had an encounter with God in later years of their life. My mom almost immediately had this massive personal encounter with God, which radically changed the course of her life. God became so real to her that he carried her through and healed her heart, and she has become a conduit for his healing to other people who have experienced deep loss. She's become a witness of someone who has suffered deeply and in the face of that suffering has loved Jesus more. And God came to her right in her brokenness and wept with her and healed her and showed her his love and his mercy and his kindness in some of the most tragic places of her life. All things will be made new, he promises. 
so even in the places of suffering, what I'm trying to express to you is that we are not without a God. That's what the enemy wants us to believe, that God doesn't care. But he does deeply care. If you were to answer every one of our prayers, where would we be? Heaven. Everything would be perfect if he answered every one of our prayers. Well, gosh, maybe he shouldn't answer some of my prayers because they're not even good things for me. I think they're good things for me, but I have no idea what I'm talking about. There was a boy that I loved when I was 18. I'm so grateful that God did not answer that prayer that I married him. I mean, he is... God bless. I love that kid, but no. That was not a good prayer. Sometimes we think we know. We don't know. We don't know what God is doing, how he's weaving stories together, how he's using suffering that we offer to him as a gift. And when we invite him, we don't know what he's doing, but we can trust because of what he says in his word and because of his promises that he will work all things for good for those who love him. The people I love the most, who I'm inspired by the most, are people who have suffered and who love Jesus more. Look at Mother Teresa. Look at Maximilian Kolbe. Just look at the lives of the saints. They all have suffered greatly, and they love God more, and they are heroic. And we look at them as these bright lights in our world. And friends, I want to be a bright light, and I want you to be a bright light. And what that's going to take is for us to open our hearts into the places where we are so desperate for God and to stop numbing that place, to stop avoiding that place, to stop substituting that place with other things other than God. And we do it all the time where we feel pain and we go to brownies. Or we get uncomfortable and we don't have answers and we go to other teachers that are teaching things that are not God's word. We substitute for the Savior all the time. And Jesus comes to us today. He comes to us at every Mass, this wondrous gift of Jesus. He comes to actually come right inside of our very being with his presence that is love and healing and power and life and goodness and freedom. And he's saying, I don't want to be far away from you. I actually never intended to be far away from you. And will you let me come to you now? I was at a conference in January called SEEK. Focus put it on. Yeah, it's amazing. Yes. So 20,000 college students gathered in St. Louis. And Father John Burns was there as well. And um, it was a beautiful, beautiful conference. And on the Wednesday night, in the stadium, it was a huge stadium full of people. And they had an uh, adoration and a Eucharistic procession through the stadium. It was epic. It was so awesome. And you know, stadiums are really big, so I'm on one side, and they're singing songs, and right towards the, like, middle of the procession, I hear a guy from the opposite side of the stadium yell. You imagine how loud he must have been yelling for me to hear him on the other side, okay? So this is what he said. So just imagine the scene, candles, lots of incense, Jesus, stadium, 20,000 people, background music, and the guy yells out in the middle of the dark, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And I went, whoa, we got a live one. 
like somebody's having a moment over there. You know. 30 seconds later, again, louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And I was like, okay. Well, we got 500 priests in here, so if anything's up, you know, they can deal with that. It's like, <clears throat> I'm just praying. 30 seconds later, again, louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And that time, my heart just broke because it was so honest, so earnest, so vulnerable, so desperate. And it struck something in me that is also vulnerable and desperate. And we all have that place and we like to cover it up with a lot of things because that's it's hard to be that exposed. And I just started to weep. And it just led me that night into a place of like deep repentance before God. I just repented for the ways that I have like not come to him with some of those vulnerable places the places that I'm entering into sin and I'm putting other things in his place, that other gods, where I'm looking for comfort in other places other than him. Friends, it is so important that we allow ourselves to feel the desperation for a savior because this is the reality. We need one. We can't fix our sin problem. We can't work ourselves out of addiction. We can't heal relationships, truly. We can't self-help book our way through things. Those are okay. We, we can put in some effort. But we need a savior. And the way for him to have access to our hearts is for us to allow ourselves to feel the desperation. I know it's Saturday morning at 10, and you're like, what? This is not what I was expecting. <laughs> I don't know how to share something more important than this with you. I care so deeply about you, about where you stand with God. Because I believe that God has great things for you. I believe that he wants to set you free. I believe that he wants to meet you in the midst of your suffering to change you. And, you know, there are places in my own life that have been long places of suffering. So in no way am I trying to give the impression that you just pray and God comes and he'll heal everything and take away everything. Sometimes, yes, he does because he can. Sometimes, no, that there's another reason in there, that there's a deepening that even in the places of long suffering for me, I can attest to this. I can testify to it because every night when I go into my prayer room, I'm meeting him there in my own places of long suffering. And Jesus has never been more real to me than today. And I've been walking with him for a long time. I'm, 
I am completely undone by his love for me. And, and that's because I've allowed myself to feel this desperation and I'm letting him meet me there. And he comes. And he comes with love and tenderness and compassion. He's changing my perspective. He's changing me. So even though some of my circumstances aren't changing, he's changing me. I'm falling more in love with him. He is making me able to love in situations I couldn't before. I'm not perfect in any way. I'm just saying he's changing me. And he can change you. And the enemy likes to say, this is always how it's going to be. It's just going to be this way. Just pick up your cross and carry it and walk around in circles. No, that is not the Christian message. The Christian message is pick up your cross and carry it to an actual place and die so you can experience new life. That new life might be in heaven, but I think there are a lot of places right now and through your journey here on earth that God wants to resurrect and bring new life for you. So in the last couple of moments here, I would just love it if we could just pray. Because I want to invite Jesus with you into those places in our own hearts where we all have that longing and need for a Savior. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, you say in your word that where two or more are gathered in your name, that you are in their midst. And you do not lie. So we trust you, Jesus, that you are here right now. Lord, you see us. You see us for who we truly are, and you deeply love us just right where we are. You can see through the facades. You can see through the masks. You can see through the striving. You see us, Lord. And you deeply love us. Jesus, I ask that you would begin to enter into those places in our hearts where we are desperate for a Savior. where we aren't content with an assistant, but we need to be saved. We need to be set free. Ladies, I just want to encourage you just for one moment. We're just going to just be quiet for one moment, and I want to encourage you to just be honest with God. What is one thing in your life right now, one area in your own heart, that you want to bring before him to ask Jesus to save you and meet you there. Just tell him in the quietness of your heart. Lord, you see the beauty of a desperate heart. You're so drawn to our weakness and our need. And you are the remedy. 
Jesus, I ask that you would come with your power to heal and restore the hearts of these women. I pray that you would set captives free in this room. I trust you, Jesus. I trust in your power. You are Lord of all, and every knee will bow at your name, Jesus. Where the enemy is wreaking havoc, I pray that you would bring your truth and your light into the lives and hearts of these women. I pray that today, as they go through this day, Jesus, that you would come close to them in the Eucharist, that you would come close in their conversations with each other, that you would come close in the quiet moments and the places in their heart and when they go to bed at night and it's just them with you, Jesus, that you would come and meet them there. We need you, Lord. Let's just sing just this simple refrain of, um, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you, oh, I need you, every hour I need you, my one defense, my righteousness, oh, God. How I need you. Let's sing that again just as a prayer before the Lord. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense. My righteousness, oh God, how I need you. May you be praised, Lord, in every area of our life, even in the places where we suffer. May you be glorified and lifted high. And as you restore us, Lord, help us to be a light to the world that so desperately needs witnesses of your love and the power of your resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.